Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I am Robert Winfrey. I am the host of this show and have been for some time now, several years. Yeah, jeez, years. My life is terrible. All right, I'm flying solo tonight by means of explanation about that. Uh, we are recording this on Father's Day, so January, January, okay, my brain, June. 16th, 2019. And just Jeff had a family thing, so he'll be back next week, barring any other unforeseen circumstances, but I wish him well. Hope he has a good time with his family. I had an enjoyable day with my dad, so I'm yeah, just having a good time. Uh, on the docket this evening, a preview for this upcoming UFC on ESPN Plus event which is eh, not a great card. Uh, the top two fights are solid, but beyond that, well, we'll get into the specifics. Much as I dislike giving Bellator airtime here because Bellator makes me sad, there were a couple of events that took place, a couple of things of note that took place at their event on Friday, so uh, I do want to touch on a few things coming out of that. And the UFC made final a few main events for upcoming cards over the last couple of weeks, and I want to dovetail at least one of those into a discussion about the schedule of the UFC. Because, I don't know, uh, something doesn't quite sit right, necessarily, at the moment. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's nothing, maybe I just will wind up rambling to myself about inconsequential things. That's been known to happen. Alright, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. UFC on ESPN Plus 12. Uh... This is the UFC... It was nice to have a Saturday off last Saturday, but as a direct consequence of that... Well, sorry. That was the only Saturday that I'm going to have off for a while. Um, there were f there are five Saturdays in June, and the UFC just took this one off. There's still four events for the month. There's going to be... Two, three... And there's going to be four in July, four in August, four in September, four in October. So, yeah, my uh, my schedule's looking pretty full. Uh, this upcoming one will be the UFC's debut in the state of South Carolina. They will be in Greenville, which is notable for, I don't know, um, being the home of Stephen Thompson, I think. Uh Hey, don't get me wrong. It's I I don't have anything against the city. I don't mean to kind of sound like I'm bagging on it. It's just, uh, you know, not a. It, it's, again, I don't know. South Carolina might also be one of those states that there's a not that you know it's not a small state, but you might only get like. How do I say this? Greenville might be a kind of nexus point for an entire, like, region of the state. So, it might be a bigger deal, for, and, you know, that region might not be able to get to, you know, something in Columbia or more, the, more along the coast, so I'm, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the geography and, I don't know, uh, what do you say that? Infrastructure base of uh, South Carolina that would lead to, you know, Different travel era issues or inconsistencies and whatnot. Uh, anyway, the main event is Hanato Moicano 
who is currently, he's a ranked contender, I believe, at Featherweight. Let's see where he is exactly. Uh, number five. Yeah, he is the number five featherweight contender in the UFC right now, which is actually a fairly accurate ranking. I mean, his only loss as a professional, I he only has two losses professionally. One to Brian Ortega. Uh, he got submitted in 2017, and then he got finished by Jose Aldo in February of this year. So he's trying to bounce back from that loss, which was a setback, I mean... But it's also, you know, Jose Aldo, so there's only so much you can hold that against him. And he's taking on the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung. Jung was last seen just throwing away a fight against Yair Rodriguez when he was knocked out with that absolutely insane uh, upward elbow strike. That was so... That, that is still one of the most absurd knockouts I've seen. Absolutely st one of them. Um, these two have been put together because they're going to get in there and they're going to scrap. It's a relevant fight for the division. I think Jung is also ranked. Yeah, he's number 12. Boy, Featherweight's a rough division, man. That is a rough division to try and make your, bo <laughs> to try and make your bones in. There's some, there's some murderers in that division. There's some really, really tough customers. So Jung and Moicano, I really, look, the Korean Zombie has a lot of fights that entertain a significant portion of the fan base. I might even say a majority of it. I was less entertained by the fight with uh, Yaya Rodriguez than a lot of people were. I know a lot of people thought that fight should have, was, you know, a fight of the year contender and whatnot. It I don't remember if it featured in my year-end, where if it featured in my year-end rankings. I know it was not the top fight. Uh, it was just too samey for me, but it was not boring, certainly. And you know, it, you know, zombie, you know, the zombie can knock you out. He's got some power. He's a he's a well-rounded fighter, but I don't know. I just I don't. Th I think we've maybe seen his ceiling kind of scenario. Whereas Moicano with a few minor adjust, I mean, he's already, again, top five contender, so we, one of the top, easily a top ten featherweight in the world. And he's very, he's been very close to contendership twice. Again, the Ortega fight very nearly netted him, uh, it would have put him towards the title. If he'd beaten Jose Aldo, I think he would have got the title shot that is now presumably going to go to Alexander Volkanovsky at some point in the future. So I, I expect Moicano to win. I really do. I'm not sure. I only, I know how Jung wins if he makes this into a bit of a brawl when he can just be slightly more technical when it comes to the brawling. But I think Moicano is too well-versed. I think he's also too smart a fighter. Moicano tends not to make the dumbest, you know, the, the type of mistakes that Jung needs you to make to exploit. He's He's good from distance. He's got good leg kicks. He's a really solid black belt. I mean, again, the submission loss to Ortega aside, he was having some a uh, fair degree of success against Ortega before that submission wound up happening. He's a, just a really good fighter, and I expect him to win here. I, I'm i just not sure how Jung's really going to be able to consistently find success against him. 
But if nothing else, again, the Korean zombie has, like, what, one, I think? Let's see if I can find if he has a boring fight on his resume. Because the Rodriguez fight wasn't boring. He knocked out Dennis Bermudez very quickly when he returned from his military service. The loss to Aldo wasn't... Eh, I don't know. A lot of people were kind of down on that because... They were kind of down on Aldo, but... I, I, I was not bored by that fight. Uh, the Dustin Poirier fight wasn't boring. The Mark Hominick fight was seven seconds long. Yeah, he's, he's not really a boring fight. He does not have a lot of boring fights on his resume. If I wanted to go way back into his resume, I might be able to find something. But his WEC career was two fights. One of which he should have won, the Garcia fight. And then he got knocked out by George Roop. Then since then he won three in a row after that. So yeah, he's got a good history of watchable fights, if nothing else. And I expect another watchable one. I just expect him to come out on the losing end of things. All right, next up, uh, John Lineker and Rob Font. This was supposed to be Rob Font and Cody Stamen. Staman? I think he's. I think it's Staman. Uh, Staman pulled out due to injury. John Lineker stepped in to replace him. I think this is a rematch. Yeah, uh, John Lineker defeated Rob Font via unanimous decision at UFC 198. Yeah, uh, it was 2016. That was doing Lineker's like, ah, oh, okay. Lineker's good, man. He's really good. <laughs> uh, it's a shame that he had so many weight issues down at Flyweight and that you know, there's some things that he was never able to really get a handle on at the lower weight class, but he is he's a very, very good fighter. So, uh, Font is... I think he's coming off a win. Yeah, he beat Sergio Pettis. So he's yeah, he's kind of traded wins and losses over his last few fights, but again, Font's very good. This just kind of goes to how tough bantamweight is as a division. I mean, Font's UFC losses are to John Lineker, Pedro Munoz, and Rafael Asensio. While he has wins over Matt Schnell, Douglas Silva de Andrade, Thomas Almeida, and Sergio Pettis. You know, that's, that's a pretty significant level of opposition he's been facing. He's not fighting scrubs. And... <laughs> uh, there's a lot of credit for that. Uh, I'm not sure why I should think this rematch will go in all that differently than their first fight. Again, Font is a really good fighter. He has solid, solid boxing. Wait, he fought Des Green? So I'm just looking at Font's record, and his first professional loss was against Desmond Green, who's a relatively large lightweight. And Font, yeah, is a bantamweight. Jeez. <coughs> Excuse me. That's just crazy. So, I expect Font to, you know, find some success landing straight punches, but he's he's not good with the kind of pace and pressure that Lineker puts on you. And Lineker, you know, scores good takedowns when he needs to. Font's really at his best when he's the one who kind of gets to dictate where the fight's going. If he's not happy with the striking, he can get takedowns. If he's not happy with the takedowns, he can, for, you know... Being reactive is not necessarily to his benefit. And you know, John Lineker is excellent at being the one who dictates things. And, I mean, there's not too many people who have forced John Lineker. Even T.J. Dillashaw didn't really force him to back up a whole lot. T.J. was just good enough to perpetually punish him, get takedowns, uh, because T.J.'s wrestling was so good. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing Lineker 
seeing this going all that much differently than their first fight. Uh, unless Font's able to really kind of screw up the vision of Lineker early with some solid you know, jabs. Because John Lineker has a head made of, like, rock. I mean, that guy has eaten some absurd blows and just not cared. But, you know, the old saying goes, it's the ones you don't see coming that hurt you. And Lineker kind of got wobbled by Dodson, I think. Not because Dodson, I mean, Dodson hits hard, don't get me wrong. But once Dodson was able to find a couple of angles or kind of mess up some of the eyes of Lineker at various points, that's when he found some success that kind of made Lineker, you know, wobble a bit. And if Font's able to kind of get some of that type of offense going, then he might find some success. But I expect an inter I expect a competitive fight, and John Lineker doesn't really have boring fights. Or they, if he does, they are very few and far between. But I think this will play out similarly to their first fight, and Lineker comes out on top. Unfortunately, he is kind of treading water at the moment with uh, that. The loss to Sandhagen that he's coming off of, I think, was kind of the big one. And it might be interesting to see Font try and replicate what Sandhagen did, but I don't think he has the... There's a very skill-specific style that Sandhagen was able to use in that fight, and I don't think Font has demonstrated that level of skill. Well, skills in that particular area is more, better way to say that. But I expect you know, I expect a pretty solid fight, and I just think John Lineker will come out on top. All right, next up we have Brian Barberina and Randy Brown. Barbarina coming off of that loss to Luke A. Oh, God, that brawl, man. He and Luke A had... It's not fight of the year anymore. Um, we've had a couple of you know better barn burners in some respects uh, with you know, Poirier and Holloway or Martinez and... Martinez. Uh, I don't know what... I know why I thought that, because I thought Israel and then went to Israel Martinez, the wrestling coach, but Israel Adesanya and Calvin Gastelum. Uh, Cerrone and Fer uh, yeah, Cerrone and Ferguson. So it's it, it's still a crazy brawl. Like it still is. It's still a wild fight, and I love it. But uh, I don't think it'll wind up being again fight of the year. It'll feature in that discussion probably, but I don't think it'll, it it won't take the top spot. Let's see. So and coming off of that, whereas Randy Brown, big guy, like six three, yeah. Underground is a large man, but he was last knocked out by Nico Price. Wasn't that the hammer fist from the bottom? I need to confirm that. Yeah, that was Dos Santos versus Ivanov. That was almost a year ago, July of eighteen. I'm pretty sure that was the that was the hammer fist from the bottom thing. <laughs> Which is uh it was a crazy thing for Nico Press to pull off. <sighs> Tough fight. Um, Brian Barberine is just a grinder, man. And I don't mean just a, a wrestling grinder. I mean, he keeps a pace. He grinds on you with punches, with pace, with wrestling. And just kind of, eventually you get worn down and you stop being as defensively minded as you should be. And he sneaks blows through and he just kind of overwhelms you with options from his offense. Whereas Randy Brown, a very good wrestler, a very solid grappler on the ground. Tough one. 
Tough one to pick because I can see how both guys win. I'm going to go with Barbarina. Uh, that layoff for Brown is a bit troubling. Now, he's young enough that it's not, you know, some kiss of death. And it, it it's less than a year. It's about a year. Uh, it's almost exact. Uh, sorry, it's 11 months, I think, give or take, that he's been out. But I'm going to go with Barbarina, but a uh, competitive fight. Andrea Lee will meet Montana De La Rosa. Uh, I don't know why she's being listed as that. Oh, no, sorry. Who you? Never mind. My mistake. I confused which of her names, which of the names she's gone by was her maiden name. Stewart's her maiden name. Dilarosa is her married name. Uh, Lee's on a five-fight winning streak. Six-fight, excuse me, six-fight winning streak. Uh, two of those in the UFC. I look. Andrea Lee's got a lot going for her. She's got a great kickboxing game. She's uh, she looked really great in her last fight, actually. Uh, Ashley Yoder? No, Evan Smith. I mean, she looked good against Ashley... Uh, sorry. Why did I say Yoder? Veronica Macedo. I'm... I don't know who I'm confusing her with, actually. I think Yoder's also on this card is the issue at hand. I mean, the Macedo fight was given fight of the night. Eh, I don't remember how accurate I think that was, but it wasn't a bad fight. And she looked good against Evan Smith. Uh... Whereas Montana has, is 3-0 in the UFC on a four-fight winning streak, has submitted all of her opponents. Yeah, this is a pretty significant fight for Andrea Lee. She's facing a style that has given her problems in the past. And if she can't overcome it here, again, she's still very young. She's, what, 30? She just turned 30. I was 30 a few months ago. Um... But given her, you know, given how long she's been fighting, I mean, she debuted professionally in MMA at, in 2014. So okay, five years, not the not the longest time. But she, you know, has been boxing and kickboxing for much longer than that. Uh, she had an amateur boxing career, amateur kickboxing career, and both uh, traditional kickboxing and Muay Thai. So there's a lot of competition that she's been through, and if she's not I mean, she only has two losses. One of them's to Roxanne Modafferi. So, I shouldn't... I'm not trying to be make this out like this is some giant crossroads fight, but it is an important one because there's better wrestlers than Montana in the... Well, it's flyweight. So, there are some that are better, but... Again, this is an important fight for her because the style has given her problems. Even in some fights she's won, she has struggled on occasion with the type of style that Montana De La Rosa brings. So. I'm going to pick Andrea Lee here. Uh, shouldn't end that on an upward inflection, I apologize. I'm going to pick Andrea Lee here. But I can very easily see uh, Montana De La Rosa winning this. Um, and... I don't know where the... I'm not sure, entirely sure where the winner will land in the scheme of the women's flyweight division because that division is still very much a developing thing. I mean, they're both ranked. Andrea Lee is currently ranked 10. Montana De La Rosa is ranked 11. For some reason, Jessica I is still ranked as the number one contender despite getting knocked completely unconscious by Valentina Shevchenko. If, uh, the, fly, the women's flyweight division has not been updated since that fight. 
Or if for whatever reason, everyone just kind of thought, yeah, sure. I mean, Jessica I has a mediocre split decision win over Caitlyn Chukagian. She can remain the number one contender. Ugh. I get that it can be awkward ranking a fighter below a fighter that beat them, but part of the purpose of the rankings is to establish who should be the next contender, not just rank the fighters in order of skill. And Jessica I is most certainly not the number one contender. Not after that fight. That was not a competitive fight. So, I'm, again, I'm not... The winner won't exactly be in the title picture immediately, but... Uh, we'll take a necessary step forward. These are these are two women who, if they can get some momentum going, are kind of going to be some of the people that this division formulates itself around as it continues to grow and develop. At middleweight, Kevin Holland will fight Alessio De Chirico. Or does he prefer Diki Rico? Uh, I hate Mike Goldberg, just because I think I, mi- I heard him mispronounce it one way once, and now I can never remember exactly which way it is. Um, Holland is coming off of a split decision win over Gerald Mearshart. His only loss in the UFC is to Thiago Santos. Uh, he's on a two-fight winning streak. And DeChirico... Uh, he's been in the UFC for a while now. He's 3-2. and two. Only lost to uh, Eric Spicely and Boyan Velichkovic. This seems like... Uh, not a gimme for Kevin Holland, but a fight that stylistically favors him in some respects. So I'll go with Kevin Holland. I mean, he's got a big mouth and a big personality, and he comes from the Contender Series, so the UFC try to... Give him favorable matches when in positions like this. I mean, there comes a point when you can no longer avoid. I mean, he fought Tiago Santos on short notice. You know, it's not like the guy didn't. He didn't get in on a fluke. He stepped in on short notice against a bruiser of a man. Got Tiago Santos is. Oof, dude's a paratrooper from like. Wasn't he like a? Uh, What's the phrase in the Brazilian police department? Some kind of, like, tactical officer in, like, the City of God. Which is one of the flavelas in Rio, I seem to recall. And it's not a good place. Uh, Diego Santos is a deeply impressive human being in many, many respects. Uh, then at straw weight, we have Ashley Yoder and Siri Kondo. Yoder, coming off of her first UFC win, a split decision over Amanda Cooper that, quite frankly, I seem to recall scoring the other way. Um, I don't know why Yoder's in the UFC. I, I And I don't mean that to be unkind, but she entered the UFC with a 5-1 record and immediately lost three in a row to Justine Kish, Angela Hill, and Mackenzie Dern. And she just barely got a split decision win over Amanda Cooper. Um, Siri is... I don't think she's ever going to be a lot of a great force in the UFC. She's one and two in the division right now. She lost to Poliana Botello and then uh, Jan Shaunan, who's just kind of a bruiser of a fighter. Uh, beat her November of last year. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Siri Kondo. I'm probably going to regret that. <laughs> But I've just, I don't know. I've not 
really seen enough from Ashley Yoder to make me consistently pick her. And while Kondo may not be, you know, elite, when I say elite, I mean like top, you know, 15 in the world kind of scenario. I think she's good enough to avoid the takedowns because that's kind of Yoder's entire game in many respects. So I'll go with Kondo. Anyway, that's your main card. The prelims will be on ESPN2. Uh, first up, we have Dan Ige and Kevin Aguilar. Um, Ige's on a pretty good run, actually. Um, he lost his UFC debut to Julio Arce and then went on a three-fight winning streak that he's currently on. Now, unfortunately, he's fighting Kevin Aguilar, who is kind of a beast. Um, Aguilar is somewhat underappreciated in a lot of respects. He flew under the radar. I mean, his UFC debut wasn't all that long ago. I think he has two fights in the UFC. But he's 17-1 and one as a professional, which is a darn impressive record. Yeah, he beat both Rick Glenn and Enrique Barzola. Uh, I don't really have too many problems picking Kevin Aguilar for this fight. At lightweight, Matt Wyman is coming out of retirement. Uh, his last fight was in November of 2014 when he defeated Isaac Valley Flag. I uh, had a had an up and down UFC run, but he, you know, debuted in the UFC off the back of the Ultimate Fighter season five. That was such a stacked season, man. I know people talk about you know seasons one and two and whatnot. Season five of the Ultimate Fighter. I'm of the opinion was the best season they ever did, they ever had in terms of talent on the show. Uh, matched ra- closely followed by that season where they just wanted to find a contender for Demetrius Johnson, so they brought in legitimate champions from every other organization in the world. Because that, again, those were some really talented fighters. Season 5, again, was just an absurdly stacked season. I mean, there's a few guys on there that you may not remember, but I remember watching it. I mean, that season gave us, you know, Gray Maynard, Matt Wyman, Joe Lozon, uh, Cole Miller, Manny Gamburian, Nate Diaz. You know, like, uh, not a, not a, not half of, uh, less than half of the cast. Uh, Gabe Brudiger had at least a couple of fights in the UFC. Rob Emerson had a few fights in the UFC. Corey Hill had some fights in the UFC. Uh, you know, there was, that was an incredibly talented group of fighters they had to kind of showcase their they're bringing back the lightweight division. I mean, you got, you know, a couple of title challengers out of that and you know, for better or worse, Nate Diaz is one of the larger draws in the sport right now. Saying so, you know, again, Gamburian fought for the WEC featherweight title. Uh, Graham Maynard fought twice for the UFC lightweight title. Joe Lozon has, I still think, the most finishes in UFC lightweight history. And Nate Diaz has at least a couple of records. Now he's featured in a few of those. He might have, like, among the most submissions in lightweight history. And has now been part of, you know, a couple of the highest-selling pay-per-views in UFC history. Again, a very, very talented cast. Came out of Season 5. So anyway, Wyman is coming back... And he's fighting Luis Pena, the violent Bob Ross, who's two and one in the UFC. But I mean, he fought. His first fight was against a guy from that season of The Ultimate Fighter. Then he fought Mike Trezano, and he lost, and then failed to make featherweight, which was a 
terrible decision in the first place. That man is... Look at him at lightweight and then tell me where the extra, you know, 10 pounds he's going to cut is. Because, I mean, no. Sorry, man. Just a bridge too far for your body. And he beat Steven Peterson, who has, like, one win in the UFC. He's, like, one in three or one in two. Yeah, one in two. And that win was a split that was uh, a little iffy. Uh, so the, the layoff might be a factor here for Matt Wyman. It's... Eh. I'm going to pick Wyman because I'm not convinced about Pena's ability against genuine UFC-level opposition. There might be a bit of an open question about whether or not Matt Wyman is still a UFC-caliber fighter and fair play. But as of his last showing, he was still a guy with who you know could fight in the UFC. Not challenge for the title, but made sense to have on the roster. Uh, we have a heavyweight fight because the UFC hates me. Um, Alan Crowder, who is 10-3. I believe he last was seen uh, getting a DQ win over Greg Hardy. Yeah. He got knocked out by Justin Willis. Then Greg Hardy landed that illegal knee that led to the DQ. Now he's fighting Jarazino Rosenstreich. I might be mispronouncing his first name. Uh, Rosenstreich is 7-0. and He is Senegalese? Suriname. Yeah, sorry. My flag game, not not as strong today. Uh, he's seven and zero. He has that one win in the UFC. He like knocked out Junior Albini. Uh, Rosen strikes a legitimate kickboxer. Uh, so this fight has a bit of potential. Uh, I imagine it'll go to Rosen strike. I mean, Alan Crowder is a decent enough guy, but am I confusing Rosen strike with somebody else? I might be in some respects, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think I am. Um, I'm going to find out. I, I'm sure it's, yeah, I could be. Anyway, I'll go with Rosenstreich here, but, I, I mean, Crowder was, you know, not doing well in the Greg Hardy fight up, you know, prior to the illegal blow, so who knows. At women's fight flyweight, Ariane Lipsky, the violence queen, will fight Molly McCann. Uh, this should be a decently entertaining scrap. McCann coming off of that fight with Priscilla Cachoeira. Uh Priscilla Cachoeira is just not a good fighter <laughs> at all. Uh, Lipsky lost her UFC debut. I believe she fought uh, Joanne Calderwood. That's a pretty stiff ask in your UFC debut. I'll go with Lipsky. But on the prelims, this is the fight that's probably going to turn in the most action. At middleweight, we have the UFC debut of Duran Wynn. I'm actually kind of excited for that. Wait, did that get canceled? Hang on, I have to confirm something. That fight... Oh, boy. If that fight fell through, that would suck. Uh, not... Again, like, I am not... desperately hot, you know, but... Duran Wynn had, uh... is an interesting guy. In terms of his body makeup, he's short. I mean, he fights at middleweight. He's like 5'5". Five, five. Yeah, he's listed as 5'5". Five, five. His last fight was at light heavyweight when he beat Tom Lawler at that uh, Golden Boy MMA pay-per-view, the Liddell versus Ortiz 3. But he trains out of American Kickboxing Academy, and he has a pretty legitimate amateur wrestling background. So I was curious to see what he was going to do in the UFC. They've 
Uh, he was originally supposed to fight Marcus Perez. Perez fell out with injury. They they booked Bruno Silva in there to fight that. This is being listed on Tapology as falling out due to a Bruno Silva injury. I'm not sure how true that is. I imagine it's true, and just but uh, that would suck if true because I want to see Duran win in the UFC. I want to see him at middleweight. And he's again, he's a short guy. He's five five. That's by and large too short to fight at two o five in the UFC at least. You know, in other organizations, you can get by just being significantly better as a fighter and overcoming the height or weight, the height and, you know, again, rehydrated weight discrepancy you might be under. Uh, much tougher ask in the UFC. Um, if if that is incorrect, I'm going to pick Duran Wynn and it's you know, it's still on. If it isn't, uh, I mean, they're going to try to keep him on the card, I think. And I'll, I'll pick Duran Wynn in the dark against a lot of guys, so... Kind of looking forward to that. And kicking everything off, we have Andre Ewell against Anderson Dos Santos. Andre Ewell, whose biggest win is, and I wish this meant more, over Henan Barrow. That was his UFC debut. Then he went on to be defeated by Nathaniel Wood. And Anderson Dos Santos, 20 and 7. He's had, fight a couple of, he's had one fight in the UFC. Okay, he, got, he lost to Nad Naramani. I vaguely recall that fight. Very vaguely. I mean, his losses are to... Eh, it's okay. I don't know all of these, but I know a couple of the guys he's lost to. I mean, Saeed Nurmagomedov is in the UFC now. It's one of the guys that he lost to. Huh. I'll go with Anderson Dos Santos because Andre... I mean, but that's a bit of a coin toss in some respects. I'm not... There's the guys that I just know I've, I haven't seen a tremendous amount of, so there's only so much reasonable prediction that I can make there. But uh, I'll go with Anderson Dos Santos, and then we'll just uh, see if Andre Yule can kind of surprise a few people. But that's your prelims. Uh, eh, again. Lipsky and McCann's kind of guaranteed to be a bit of a scrap. Might be interesting to see what Matt Wyman can do. Uh, hopefully Crowder and Rosenstrike ends quickly, because ugh, if that goes long, I mean, ugh. those are those are some large... I mean, heavyweight, heavyweight has a reputation for a reason, and those are a couple of large heavyweights. Uh, those are some big guys. So, and Crowder's conditioning against Greg Hardy did not look exceptional, so... Ugh. All right. Uh, I will have coverage of that event Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so stop by, say hello, follow along if you're so inclined. I appreciate it, as always. You guys can get that content in a lot of different places, and I am deeply appreciative of you choosing mine. So thank you very much. All right, moving on. I, again, I'm not the biggest fan of giving Bellator a tremendous amount of airtime because Bellator as a promotion makes me sad. But Bellator 222, I believe, was on Friday. And two points I want to talk about coming out of that. Um, and only two. Uh, a few things happened on the card. Uh, Roy McDonald defeated Neiman Gracie via unanimous decision to advance for a rematch with Douglas Lima in the finale of the Welterweight Grand Prix Tournament. Good. That's the best fight that could have came out of it. That could have been made in the tournament finals, I think. And I'm leaning towards Lima in the rematch, man. Um, the fight itself was all right. You have to be really into some of the technical things that took place in that fight to kind of get up for it, and I don't want to go into too much detail. Uh, the 
two big things that came out of it. One, Chael Sonnen, former two divi- uh, bol- uh, three-time title challenger across two divisions in the UFC, was knocked out by Leota Machida via flying knee in the second round of that fight and decided to retire. Now, Sonnen retired previously after one of his failed drug tests, but I tend to think this one's more... This is more going to stick um, for a ver- couple of specific reasons. One, the previous retirement was done almost kind of in protest of the uh, some of the drug testing things going on. And look, Sonnen is... I'm not going to do the Kevin Ioli thing and call him one of the biggest cheaters in the history of the of the sport because I don't think that's accurate. But he got caught a, few, a fair few times, and he got caught for some... He had some wild test results, put it like that. And the other thing, the big thing that I think is going to play into this is at this point in time, Chael is much better positioned for life after fighting. Between his podcast, which is popular, and his work as a broadcaster for ESPN, he's not, again, he's not in the position that he was previously where fighting was really his primary means of income. I think at this point he's, again, well-established to step away from fighting on a permanent basis and not have to worry about his financial future, at least immediately. I mean, you know, broadcasting is a notoriously volatile promotion and podcasts favor can rise and fall, but he's, again, he's much better positioned and he's older now. And I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the game has passed him by, but you know, Sonnen, much as I have never been a fan, I've never, again, I've never personally been much of a fan the guy talked his way into some big fights, and he earned his way into some big fights. I don't want to say, like, he only got there via his mouth. The John Jones fight, yes. But you know, the Anderson Silva fight, the first one, he absolutely earned it. The second one, a little bit more controversial, and he, you know, relied on his mouth as much to you know, kind of help sell the rematch. But, again, it's not... He has some pretty big names on his resume. I mean, if you look... At the list of guys he's fought, again Anderson Silva twice, John Jones, he fought Fedor, uh, now Leota Machida, he fought Rampage, he fought Vanderlei Silva. He was, you know, he, I mean, he lost a couple of those fights, but he beat Shogun. Uh, he has wins over, yeah, Shogun, Stan, Bisbing. Um, there's some other. Uh, oh, um, crap. Uh, Okami, Yushin Okami, he beat you. Uh, he beat he beat Nate, uh, Nate Marquardt. He he beat some really good guys, and he has. Uh, I mean, again, some of those fights I listened to. He won. He beat Rampage. You know, he uh, again, submitted Shogun, beat Vanderlei. He's had a he's had a wild career. I think it's probably the best way to say that. That man has had a wild career. And again, never much of a fan personally, but I can absolutely acknowledge that he was, for a while, an important figure in the competitive space, and now is an important figure in the commentary space, in the punditry. I don't listen to his podcast, but he makes salient points from time to time, and I wish him, I, I don't have anything against him, so and that's worthy of note. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, Kyoji Horiguchi... Uh, the absolute badass. Uh, defeated Darian Caldwell again. 
this time via unanimous decision, to become the Bellator bantamweight champion. Horiguchi is a natural flyweight. Uh, you may remember his UFC run where he only lost to Demetrius Johnson in a fight that he was rushed into. And we say rushed just in terms of pure development. I'm honestly sad we never got a rematch. That was one of the rematches on DJ's resume I wanted to see. Ah, if he had stuck around, again, Horiguchi didn't stick around the UFC. He didn't like the way they treated him, and I don't blame him. Uh, but again, there's a couple of fights I wish we could have got from DJ. Uh, before he left the UFC. I would have loved a, uh, a rubber match with Henry Cejudo, and I wanted to see him in Horiguchi again, because Horiguchi improved a lot after that loss to Demetrius Johnson. Johnson made him a better fight. He became a better fighter after that fight. But he signed with, he's with Ryzen, I believe, and there's just not enough flyweights in Ryzen to make a genuine division, so he beat a bunch of flyweights, Went up to bantamweight, became the ba- the Ryzen bantamweight champion. Uh, Ryzen and Bellator have a not a full on co promotion deal, but they do. I mean, they might now. But Darian Caldwell went over to fight Horiguchi and challenge for the Ryzen belt, I believe, and Horiguchi submitted him. Then this one was for the Bellator belt, and Horiguchi beats him. And Darian Caldwell is a legit bantamweight. I mean, there's still some issues. Um, Caldwell's game, man. It's I don't know. There's a few things that he should have figured out by now that he does not seem to have really been able to implement consistently. But Horiguchi now, Ryzen and Bellator bantamweight champions, he is, I believe, contractually obligated to defend the bantamweight, t- the Bellator title at least once a year. Whether that holds up or not, we'll see. But um, Look, man, Horiguchi... The last two years, uh, so this would have been 17 and 18, featured on my Fighter of the Year list, and I believe was the only non-UFC fighter to do so, because he had great years. Uh, this man is having... he. I think Horiguchi, and I'm not alone in this, and I, I know I'm just kind of... So This is not the first time you're going to have heard this. I think Horiguchi is, on a skill level, the best mixed martial artist Japan has ever produced. He is an exceptional fighter with exceptional work ethic. I mean, you can't find anybody that says a bad thing about him in the gym. Dean Thomas was singing his praises on social media after the fight. Just, you know, somebody asked him, you know, what's so special about Horiguchi? It's, you know, aptitude, it's in-fight IQ, it's work ethic. It's all the things that that you really want out of a top-level fighter. And Horiguchi is... If you're ranking pound for pound in the world, Horiguchi should be on that list. And this is a guy who, again, will probably not get credit at the end. This might have been his first fight of the year. Hang on, I have to confirm his schedule. Because I believe he beat... Yeah, he beat uh, Darian Caldwell December 31st of 2018 to win the inaugural Ryzen Bantamweight Championship. In 2019, he has finished Ben Wynn and now beaten Darian Caldwell again to become the Bellator bantamweight champion. Yeah, the dude has a grand total of two losses on his resume. It's 28-2 and two overall. One of those was a majority decision earlier in his career against uh, Masakatsu Ueda. And then the loss to Demetrius Johnson. Like, that's it. 
This guy exited the UFC after beating Ali Bagrutinov. He exited the UFC with a record of two, three, four, five, six, of seven and one. And that one just happened to be to DJ. It's a shame the UFC treated him the way that they did. Because uh, Horiguchi is an exceptional fighter. I mean, he knocked out Ian McCall in like nine seconds. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, wanted to take time out of this to give Horiguchi credit for being as awesome as he is. Horiguchi is an exceptional fighter. He's one of those guys outside the UFC that I absolutely go out of my way to try and watch. So, wanted to give you, wanted to give Horiguchi some props here because he's great. It's great to watch him fight. So, thank you, Horiguchi, for putting on great fights. Continue doing so, and best of luck in the future. All right. The UFC confirmed a few main events. Let's start with UFC on ESPN 5. I want to confirm that. I believe it's 5. Uh, this is the San Antonio card for July 20th. Uh, 4, rather, excuse me. Uh, this this was only announced this last week, so for a July, for, you know, an event that is just a little over a month away, they went down to the wire signing a main event for this card. Apparently, they wanted to do uh, Luke Rockhold and Jan Blahovich. They wanted to move that from UFC 239. Uh, yeah, they wanted to move that from UFC 239 to the main event for that card, but uh, Luke Rock, take this for whatever it's worth. Uh, the word seems to be that Luke Rockhold had a scheduling conflict where over that weekend he will be uh, shooting some promotional material uh, for Ralph Lauren because he's one of the, like, he might be the, the, uh, the feature for their upcoming like polo campaign. You know, Luke Rockhold is an attractive man. Physically, uh, personality-wise, a little iffy. But he he is signed as you know he does some modeling now, and he's signed for Ralph Lauren, and that date couldn't be moved, so he couldn't move the fight. Anyway, the UFC settled on in on a welterweight fight between Rafael dos Anjos and Leon Edwards, which is one of the fights we speculated about being made coming out of the uh, the Till versus Masvidal event earlier this year, back in March as being, a, that was a potential fight, especially, well, especially after RDA beat uh, Kevin Lee. That was like, okay. Uh, you know what? Give Dos Anjos, you know, Rafael Dos Anjos does not get the credit he is due. Um, I'm, not, I'm not usually big on making wide, sweeping declarative statements like that, but Rafael Dos Anjos, former lightweight champion, has an exceptional resume at lightweight in the UFC. I mean, he went on a heck of a run where over the course of, like, ten fights, he only lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov. Might have been more than ten. Hang on. One, two, three, four, five. Lost six. So six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, eleven. He went on a ten and one streak when he that saw him become champion and defend it. I moved, you know, lost to Eddie Alvarez, lost to Tony Ferguson. I mean, I maintain, Rafael dos Anjos is an all-time great lightweight, and was in a position to potentially be the best light, the greatest lightweight ever. That was on the table for him. Didn't pan out that way, but that that was a possibility. Now, moves up to welterweight, and will fight anybody. He fought his, well, his 
record at welterweight is four and two, but he has wins over Tarek Zafedine, Neil Magny, and Robbie freaking Lawler. Uh, has only lost to Kamaru Usman, the current champion, and Colby Covington, the interim champion. And then he's just coming off the win over Kevin Lee. Now he's, you know, that was in May. Jeez. So a couple of months later, sure, give me Leon Edwards in San Antonio. Rafael Dos Anjos is a workhorse. I mean, for the amount of fights he has, the man has, he's 29 and 11 overall. Good grief. 40 professional fights. Dating back, he first de- he's debuted in 2004. was his professional debut. It was a split decision loss. So, that's what? 15 years. Almost. This man has been fighting. And there's a lot of decisions in there. There's a lot of rounds. And to say nothing of the training, I mean, he trained at King's MMA with Rafael Cordero, who a fair portion of his training ethos is you're sparring like you're fighting. Uh, I mean, again, look at that. Look at those fights back to back. Robbie Lawler into Colby Covington. Terrible style matchup for him. We all knew that even going in. And I, scoring it live, I thought he won the fight. And I think there's still an argument for him. There's not a lot that Covington does offensively. Loses clearly to Usman. That that was not a competitive fight. But fought back-to-back, you know, again, Lawler, Covington, Usman. Tough, all exceptional fighters. Covington and Usman, and then Lee, those are all powerful wrestlers who, which is a style he struggled with. And just give that man credit for being as, I mean, for as many fights as he's had, for as many rounds as he's had, for as many years as he has in the game, does not look like a guy who's, you know, over the hill. Does not seem like he has, you know, just taken so much damage that it's really beginning to affect his performances. Uh, now he's, you know, he, and now he's fighting Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is a tough fight. Edwards is on a significant winning streak. Edwards' only losses in the UFC are a split decision to Claudio Silva and to Kamaru Usman. I mean, Edwards is on a, what, five, six-fight winning streak? Longer than that, excuse me, hang on. Two, three, four, five, seven-fight winning streak. Uh, coming off of that win over Gunnar Nelson, I mean, he immediately then lost to Jorge Masvidal in the back, but... Leon Edwards is a tough fighter, man. He's a tough guy. And this is a tough fight. Both guys are really interesting clinch strikers. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to this fight. It's a good fight. It's Edwards getting a crack at someone at the top of the division like he's earned. I was going to uh, he's absolutely earned that seven fights in a row. Yeah. He should be fighting somebody near the top. And you know just again, a lot of credit to Dos Santos for just being one of those guys. I mean, he him and uh, Junior. Like Junior Dos Santos is I mean, he, well, he's he gone to weird places, man. And Well, weird. He fought Blagoy Ivanov in Boise. He fought... Uh, oh, he fought someone in, like, Wichita in his last fight. I don't have any... And to be clear, I've been to both of those cities. I don't have anything against them. Yeah, I mean, he fought 
Stipe in Dallas. He fought Ivanov in Boise. He fought Tai Tuivasa in Australia. He fought Derek Lewis in Wichita, Kansas. Like, that guy, he's fought in Croatia. He fought, you know, Ben Rothwell in Zagreb, Croatia. He fought in Orlando, Phoenix, Houston. Oakland. He fought in Oakland, California. Broomfield, Colorado. Like, that man... Uh, Rosemont, Illinois, jeez. That man will fight anywhere. And you know, Dos Anjos is kind of cut from that same cloth. So, again, a little bit of credit to those guys for that. Uh, that whole event is... There's a lot of heavyweights. Um, just put it like that. Alexei Olenek versus Walt Harris. Andre Arlovsky versus Ben Rothwell in a rematch no one wants to see. James Vick and Dan Hooker's a good fight. Then Greg Hardy and Juan Adams. Ugh. That main card could really suck. That could really suck. Sam Alvey's fighting on that card. Oh, God. Okay. Excitement for that card? Just none. Like, <laughs> just... Okay, they also announced Alexander Hernandez and Francisco Tornaldo. That's a good fight. But I, yeah, no excitement for that card. A few individual fights, maybe, but the card? No. Not with... No. Just no. <laughs> Just no. Uh, let's see. There was another UFC main event announced. Oh, this was... This is an odd one. But the UFC announced the main event for UFC on ESPN Plus... Something or other. Plus 15... This will be the August 31st card. The, uh, this event is taking place from China. Um, I'm going to butcher a few of these names. I apologize. This will be the Shenzhen Universidad Sports Center in Shenzhen, China. I don't know exactly where that is in China. Um, uh, this might be one of those uh, Chinese provinces that is like right around Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, just on like Okay, this is... Yeah. Well, Shenzhen is the city. Guangdong is the province. Yeah, it's right. It was around Hong Kong, so that's, it kind of explains elements of its uh, urbanization and its urban development relative to other parts of... So the history of that specific area is weird. Interesting, but... Uh, anyway. The main event for that will be a women's strawweight title fight. Champion Jessica Andrade will be going there to defend the, bout to defend the title against... Weili Zhang. Now, I like Weili Zhang. She's 19-1 and on a 19-fight winning streak. 3-0 and in the UFC. Uh, completely outclassed Daniel Taylor. Submitted Jessica Aguilar and relatively outclassed Tisha Torres. She is currently ranked uh, this, as the number six contender. But this, uh, now there's a few things about this that have to be kind of parsed here, and I'll, I'll try to be brief because I don't know you guys don't want to listen to me ramble too much. Tatiana Suarez uh, is not really, I think she would have taken the fight if offered, but her neck got kind of re-aggravated in the lead up to her most recent fight against Nina Ansaroff. And that, apparently that was the, it's, it was a neck injury that kind of ended her dreams of wrestling in the Olympics. So, this has been kind of a nagging thing for a while, and 
she want, and she seems really happy to just be able to dedicate time to figuring out what's wrong with her neck. I'm a little surprised they're overlooked. I mean, Michelle Waterson is actually ranked below her. But the rankings for Strawweight are, in some respects, a little iffy, just because, again, there's a degree of thought that goes into these rankings that is just, well, okay, you, what are the, who are the best 15 fighters, and let's rank them 1 to 15, your champion, and then through 15. Which I appreciate as an intellectual exercise, but a significant portion of the practical application of rankings especially in combat sports where you, you're actively trying to you know, dethrone someone, is the establishment of the most deserving contender. Rose Namajunas is still ranked number one. Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little iffy on... I'm a little okay with that one just because of how that fight went before the finish, but even then. And then Suarez is two. Okay. Ansaroff coming off of that loss to Suarez... I feel should be lower. I mean, Joanna Jacek is ranked here, and she hasn't fought at strawweight in a while. Then you have Claudia Gedalia, who I think is there more on... She has a fight coming up, but she's more there on history than current... Yeah, than where she is right now. And then you get to Zhang and Watterson, who I think are probably more... I mean, look, as soon as Andrade became champion, you know... Sorry, Gedalia should have dropped because Andrade beat her decisively already. And that should play a factor in this. If 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 a part of the consideration is who's the next in line, again, I can accept that it should be Suarez who should be next in line. I, can, I don't disagree with that, quite frankly, in many respects. But there's a few legacy hangarounds there that I'm... I mean, again, if you actually want it based on merit, then it probably ought to be Ioana because Ioana, you know defeated Andrade so decisively in their first fight, but... So, they're reaching down the rankings a little bit, but I think... But part of this is they wanted a Chinese fighter in the main event, and... If that's what you want, and especially if you want to do something of real significance, like a title fight, Zhang's it. I mean, there's a few other Chinese women in the UFC who are good fighters. I'm certainly not trying to disparage all of them, but... You have Yan Xiaonan, you have, um... Uh, who's the girl whose nickname is Mulan? I can't remember her name. Oh, that's gonna annoy me. Uh, and I think there's... Uh, there's a few of them that are in the UFC, so... But Zhang's kind of the only Chinese fighter, male or female, anywhere in the elite orbit. And... You know, Aguilar took taking the fight, credit to her, and I like Zhang. I really do. She's a good fighter. She's a very good fighter. I also have very little reason to think she'll beat Jessica Andrade. Andrade is not unbeatable, but I think you need someone very using very specifically the kind of style that Ioana and Jacek used. I mean, again, Rose had a lot of success in the first round of their fight. But even that was somewhat tempered in places because a lot of her footwork and her ring generalship was, and especially as the fight wore on. I mean, it only went into the second round, but you need to be constantly aware of where you are in the cage against Andrade. And Rose was for five minutes. 
And then things just for her slowed down after that first round. And again, I think Andrade, what Andrade did played a part in that. That wasn't just Rose falling apart. That was Andrade pressuring, Andrade getting to the body. And Andrade, you know, hitting like a tank and being just freakishly strong. So, I, I, ex- I expect Andrade to win, but... I mean, A, crazier things have happened. But this was, again, this is an odd choice just in the sense that they're going relatively far down the rankings as they currently stand. They'll watch Li Zhang shoot up the rankings now just because they signed the fight. The UFC rankings are weird. So that will be... Again, that will be your main event. They haven't announced a whole lot of other fights for that. I think they have like two. Uh, Dong Yun Ma versus Scott Holtzman and... Oh, it might be this woman. Uh, and Luana Carolina, who just beat Priscilla Cachoeira in a terrible fight, will fight uh, Wu Yanan. And Wu Yanan might be the woman whose nickname is Mulan. I, again, there's there's three or four Chinese women in the UFC, and most of them are... Uh, I think Wu's like one and one. Uh, Yan Xiaonan has a, has a winning UFC record again, uh Wei Li Zhang obviously uh, has a good UFC record, so they're they're talented fighters. But again, that's all we have at this for this card at the moment. But uh, if that's your main event, again, it's very clearly designed to play on nationalistic tendencies. But uh, eh, what are you gonna do? It's a strategy that does in fact sell tickets. So. As to the extent that the UFC can actually sell tickets in China. I'm not sure about the legality of that. But that's, yeah, that's your main event for that. So, again, not the worst fight in the world. A bit of an odd one. I, I don't think Zhang has... I don't think Zhang's ready for the title shot. But, eh, I've been wrong. Again, I've been wrong about stuff like that in the past. Um... Let's see, they've, they've really announced anything else. They still don't have a venue for uh, the September 14th card. They've announced a few fights for that card. Man, none of those are all that great, actually. Jeez. But no venue for that yet. We still don't have an actual venue for the UFC on ESPN 5. And this is August 3rd. So that's coming up in a hurry. That's the UFC's return to Russia. It's currently listed as taking place in Sochi. Which given that, you know, they had the Olympics there, in many respects should be able, should have the infrastructure for it. But there's not been a specific venue announced, and might even wind up being in a slightly different city. I mean, there might be something more adjacent that they wind up going to. Um, they gotta get that hammered out. Because, you know, that's coming up, man. Okay, you know, we get further out, we get to some of the events in October that they've listed that they have neither a venue nor a location for. Fine, that's October. That's four months. You've still got time to get some bouts signed and before guys have to go into camp, before all of that stuff, but there's stuff that's absolutely coming up. Uh, also, there's apparently... There's a little bit of noise about... <laughs> for some reason, there's some talk that uh, Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya might take place in Vegas. Please, don't be this stupid. This is I have said before matchmaking is a much more is an incredibly difficult job. But not only do we now have, you know, these two, this is 
this is a slam dunk to take place in Australia. They're both from Oceania. I believe technically they're both from New Zealand. If you can double check on Whitaker. He might because he might be from he might be from Australia. I, I I can't remember. I can't remember if he was born in New Zealand and now fights out of Australia or a little bit of the other way and my I apologize if I get that wrong. I mean Israel Adesanya was born in Nigeria, but you know, grew up in largely he grew up in New Zealand. These are two guys who represent that part of the world. Those are the two best middleweights in the world. There's no gimmick there. Those are it. Those are the two best. It's a great fight. You have an event in, on October 5th in Sydney. This isn't that hard. I mean, and if you're worried about... I mean, there might be some concerns about the pay-per-view sales. Look, Adesanya and Gastelum... I mean, the, the card they were on with Poirier and Holloway... Not a very high-selling card. Great fights. Those top two fights were, again, like the top two fights of the year right now. Where you rank them largely comes down to personal preference. And, I mean, Whitaker's last fight was the fight of the year for 2018 when he fought uh, Romero. That the UFC fans stupidly did not vote for because the UFC fans are suffer from A, recency bias, and B, when you put up a Twitter poll, yeah, the fight that was on the card that Conor McGregor fought on, that was, hey, don't get me wrong, Ferguson and Pettis, great fight. But higher visibility occurring more recently, yeah, it's going to outweigh the better fight that took place earlier in the year and was seen by fewer people. There's just logistics there. But, ugh, no. Romero and... <laughs> seriously. Romero and Whitaker was the fight of the year. Great fight. Uh, so putting those two together... Again, if you're worried about the sales, A, you're on ESPN, your, your pay-per-views are done all through ESPN Plus now, so you shouldn't, like, you guys clearly don't care that much. Just put those two in Oceana and let them have that big fight. This isn't hard. This will come off so much better if you host that fight in that location than if you toss it in Vegas. Please, please. Don't overly complicate this. It's not that hard. This is one of those times when it's not that hard. <laughs> all right. I think that'll do it for us for this evening. So thank you all very much for listening. Always, always profoundly appreciate the fact that you guys choose this content. Only a little over an hour. Nice. All right. Let's see. What do I have for plugs? Uh, this... Tuesday on Damn You Hollywood, Mark Radulich and I will be reviewing Men in Black International. Seems to have uh, been a bit of a dud. Haven't seen it yet. We'll see it before the sh- before the show, so look forward to thoughts on that. Next Sunday, we'll be back here to review that Greenville event and preview UFC on ESPN3. They will be in the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is the event headlined by Francis Ngannou and Junior Dos Santos. Also on this card, this is a this is a pretty solid card actually. Jusier Formiga and Joseph Benavides will fight for the right to then sit out for a year and a half while the UFC futzes around with the flyweight division. Damian Maya and Anthony Rocco Martin is a good fight. Uh, Marco Polo Reyes is on this card, and he's you know Reyes is not a a great fighter, but he's a good bit of fun. Uh, Vince Pichel and Roosevelt Roberts, actually, that has some potential. So they put together a pretty solid card for 
the main the main card there. And I mean again, Ngannou and Dos Santos. You know, the winner of that is probably your number one contender. Um to the winner of Stipe and Cormier too. Which is weird. Uh I mean Dos Santos was soundly trounced by Stipe in their most recent fight, as was Ngannou. But Dos Santos has been enjoying a bit of a career renaissance and and Ganu's still a marketable guy. Um, I don't think either of them would beat either of those two. Although, you know, Dos Santos, while he is a bit shopworn, Dos Santos and Cormier is a is a is the most intriguing permutation of those groups of of those four guys. Uh, also, I think the least likely to happen. But eh, what are you gonna do? <clears throat> So next week we'll have a full preview of that card as well as a review and whatever major news happens to break between now and then. Uh, that'll do it. Thank you very much for listening. Deeply appreciate all of you. I know you can find this elsewhere. I know this is just supplemental for your MMA experience. If I am your only MMA podcast, um, wow. Uh, I hate to say this in a quasi-condescending manner, but please do better. Um, I am deeply, deeply flattered and humbled that you choose what we do here at the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I also encourage you to expand your MMA knowledge if you're interested. If you want to be, you know, the more you get, the more of a fan you. I suppose the bigger fan you are, the less likelihood there is that this is your only, the only supplemental MMA content you take in anyway. So, but again, there's there's a lot of other guys out there doing, guys and girls, doing some good stuff, so. Thank you for choosing ours to kind of supplement that. Uh, Always appreciated. Until next time, stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.